0: Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Genesis chapter 21. Um, as we've been looking at the story of Abraham, and actually Genesis altogether, Um, there's a couple of things that kind of rise to the forefront. Um, God promised to Abraham uh, in in Genesis chapter 12, uh, where we we picked up and where we started following the life of Abraham, uh, He promised Abraham that He would bless him. He promised He would bless him and that He would give him land. He was going to give him all the promised land, and He's going to give him uh, seed, descendants, he's going to give it, make his descendants as, as uh, many as the stars in the sky and as the, um, the uh, sands on the seashore. And so these three things that God has promised to Abraham, land, seed, and blessing. And, and we're seeing how this has been fulfilled. And tonight we finally see the promised son is born. God was faithful to his promise. God promised Abraham. I think he was like 65 years old. And he's waited and he's waited and he's waited. And now at 100 years old, Abraham becomes a daddy. Well, he's been a daddy already. We know of Ishmael. But the promised son, the promised one, the one in whom he was going to bless the whole world is finally here in this chapter. And another thing that we see throughout the book of Genesis, and I think we see it throughout the entire Bible, is there is a promise that one day there would be a seed of the woman from Genesis chapter 3 that would crush the serpent's head. We see Adam and Eve in the garden Adam and Eve both sinned. God put a curse upon the serpent. And he said in that curse on the serpent in Genesis 3.15, I'll put enmity between your seed and her seed. And I don't remember exactly. I get confused every time I try to quote it from memory. But um, he will bruise your heel and he will crush your head. Something along those lines. I probably messed it up. Okay. Thanks, Amanda. Um but there is this rivalry between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent that we see there's a promise that one day there's going to be a, a, a Messiah. There's going to be someone who's going to crush the serpent's head and we're following the line throughout the book of Genesis. Um, Eve has two sons at first. Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. The seed can't be Abel's because he's dead. The seed's not going to be Cain's. Instead, Seth is born. And so the line of the seed of the woman goes forward from Seth. And in that we see a struggle in the story of Cain and Abel between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Cain is like the seed of the serpent that's represented here. And then we go on further along. We see the story of Noah. And the whole world is wicked and vile and every thought of the hearts of man is only evil continually. And that represents the seed of the serpent. And yet, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and there is the seed of the woman being carried forth. Being carried forth from generation to generation. And Noah, his father names him Noah because Noah means rest. And Noah... Uh, His father, Lamech, said, maybe this one will be the one who will bring us rest from our toil and labor. Words straight out of the curse up on the ground that God gave Adam. We're following forward this theme of uh, conflict between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. We saw it also in the story whenever Abraham was down in Egypt and Sarah was taken into Pharaoh's court. You see again the the conflict there between the seed of the serpent. You can just imagine Pharaoh with his cobra on his headdress and the seed of the woman. And here we come to a chapter and the beginning of it is about the seed of the woman that's finally born in which the line, the messianic seed will come from. But yet there's this other son. There's this rivalry. So let's go look at our text. I think I've set it up well. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 21, we'll read the whole text. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah had bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son, Isaac, when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And, and she said, Who would have thought, who would have said that Abraham and Sarah, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. For though Isaac, through Isaac, your offspring shall be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder, along with the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him, a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot. For she said, Let me not look at the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven, and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phichol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this thing, and you did not tell me. And I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took his sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech. And the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What's the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand. That, it, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abimelech planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word. Your word brings life. You are our shepherd. And Father, we pray that we might hear your voice speaking to us. We pray that we might hear and listen and obey. And Father, we pray that uh, as we hear these words, you would feed us, grow us in faith, help us to trust more deeply in you and your goodness. And Lord, I pray that you would help our hearts to break out in worship as we think on the magnificence of the way you keep your promises. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's three parts here that this story breaks down into. I've already talked a bit about the first one. Uh, We see that that this long-awaited Isaac finally is born. You see that in the first part. And then there's this conflict between Sarah and Hagar, and between Isaac, and between Ishmael, and then there's this other part. And as I was preparing, I, sometimes I listen to other preachers and things, and one of them I listened to, he told me that he had listened to another preacher who said, "I don't know what to do with this part at all." <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna try to to make sense of it. And to to try to understand what God is is saying to us from these things. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. As he had said. God did what he said he was going to do. We remember, um, if you've been with us, God had promised just a few chapters ago that by this time next year, Sarah was going to have the child the one they've been waiting on for decades to be born And it happened, just as the Lord said. When God says something, we can take that to the bank. It's going to happen. He's going to fulfill His promises. So the Lord visited Sarah as He had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as He had promised. And Sarah, this is miraculous. Remember, Abraham is 100, and Sarah is 90 years old. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, not to mention her old age, right? At the time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the son of his who was born to him. And Sarah bore him Isaac. That's what God had promised, told them, you're going to name him. Remember, we can think back to the stories in the past. If Not everybody was here for those, but... Most of us have probably heard the stories. God tells Abraham he's going to have a son, and he falls down laughing. Right? What, me? man who's 90 years old, what? And Sarah, she's over in the tent, and she overhears it, and she laughs. And God tells them both times, because you've laughed, you're going to name this child Isaac. I think it's a great name. It's amazing. It's not kind of a a laughter as in a ridicule of laughter. It's It's a laughter of thinking, wow, can you believe what God has done? And just burst out into laughter because God has done what was impossible. So they named the child Isaac, or he laughs. And Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old as God had commanded him. We need to pay attention to those words. As God had commanded him. Right? Um, we we saw as we were going through the, the uh, Abraham story. And if you weren't with us, go back and read the whole Abraham story. But God had told Abraham that every male in his household was to be circumcised. And this was a, a big deal. They hadn't been doing that up to this point. And, and Abraham had a household of 318 men that were soldiers that were that were with him as they went out to battle against the five kings. I'm assuming a whole lot because we've already a lot of us have already been through the whole thing. If if it doesn't make sense to you, go back and read the whole Abraham story. But Abraham had this big household with 318 men, 318 men, adult, grown men, and everyone in his household was circumcised. This was radical obedience. And what does does Abraham do whenever Isaac is eight days old? He is obedient to God's command. He has him circumcised at eight days old. Now Abraham, it tells us here, was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. This is... This is not, again, this is no kind of ridicule. This is amazing. This is amazement that that she says, God has made laughter for me. Now everyone who hears will laugh over me. It's not saying that people are going to make fun of her. It's saying they're going to rejoice in laughter whenever they see. Oh, what an amazing thing that God has done. What a miracle that He's done. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? And I born him a son in his old age. Now, we come to the next part here. Verse 8. And the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the day that he was weaned. They're throwing a big party. I imagine a lot of mothers would like to have a party at the moment that they wean their child, right? (laughs) Maybe not. I don't know. I'm a man speaking here. Please, uh, don't throw stones. (laughs) Um, But they they weaned... um, Sarah weaned him. And Sarah saw this. This happened at the occasion that, that Isaac was weaned. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham, laughing. Now this is different. Same word. Still the same word there that Isaac gets his name from, but there's a, there's a kind of a double meaning here. Sarah says, Everyone will laugh over me. Meaning a kind of a rejoice and a wonder. But what we see. Ishmael doing is he's mocking. He's laughing. He's making fun. <laughs> What's this little baby going to do? Dad's going to be dead after a while. I'm getting what he has. Right? Uh, Isaac or Ishmael here probably would have been about 14 years old already because Ishmael was born uh, 14 years earlier according to the narrative. He was making fun of this new miracle baby that was born. And Sarah sees this and it disturbed her. So she says to Abraham, cast out this slave woman. This this seems harsh to us, doesn't it? It seems harsh to us. But Sarah, I think, is recognizing something that's important for us. As we've seen in the story of Genesis, there is this tension between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Isaac is the seed of the woman. He's the one through whom the promise will come. He's the one who one of his descendants will be Jesus who will come and will be the one who crushes the serpent's head. He'll be the one who comes and dies on the cross and defeats all of our enemies as he raises again one day. And Ishmael, as he mocks and laughs at laughter, is representing the seed of the serpent. The enmity that's there ever since Genesis chapter 3. And we know where that can lead between brothers. Cain and Abel. Brothers. Envy took over. And what happens? One kills the other. I know it seems harsh that Sarah would say, cast out the woman and her child. I mean... But what Sarah was recognizing is there is this tension between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And she, in faith, knows this child has to be protected. She can't let what happened to Abel happen to her son. And so she says to Abraham, cast him out. Now it was displeasing to Abraham. Abraham didn't get it. He rejoiced in his son. He he loved his his son Ishmael as well. He didn't want to throw them out, but God told him. We see here in verse 12, God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy, because of of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to do, do as she tells you. This is kind of ironic as well. It's ironic. We think back to Adam and Eve. There's connections here throughout the whole story. We think back to Adam and Eve, and when God confronts Adam in the garden, he he and and when he gives the curse there in in Genesis chapter 3, he says, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and eaten of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that's that's that was something that was condemned in Genesis chapter 1. But here, it seems to be a little bit turned on its head. There's some irony here. And and God is telling Abraham, listen to the voice of your wife. Because sometimes, husbands, we've got to listen to our wives. Sometimes they have some good wisdom to share when it's in faith. God said to Abraham, be not displeased because of the boy. Let me skip ahead. Be not displeased because of the boy, because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac your offspring will your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. He says, it's Isaac. Isaac is the one who the focus of the promise is on. And we don't want any any kind of rival to that, any kind of rival to the inheritance to get in the way. So do as Sarah has said. and But God gives a promise to Abraham there because he, prom- he, he loved his other son as well. And God tells Abraham, I'm going to bless him as well. I'm going to make a whole nation out of him. He's not going to be completely written off. But even Ishmael was going to be included in the blessing. Now Verse 13. And I will make a great a nation of the, of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child, and he sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. A couple of things here. First off, Abraham provided for their needs. As well as he could at the time. I mean, they were leaving. He couldn't continually be there to provide for them all along. But as they got ready to go, he provided for them. He gave them some bread. He gave them a water skin to take with them filled with water. And also, we notice here, where did they go? But they wandered in the wilderness. Let's think here again. Who wrote this book? The first five books of the Bible, including Genesis, were written by Moses. They were written as the people of Israel were wandering in the wilderness. So some things to kind of pay attention to. And here it says that Ishmael and and, uh, Hagar, they wandered around in the wilderness of Beersheba. Being stuck in the wilderness was not the end. Just as it wasn't the end for the people of Israel as they were wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. And sometimes maybe some of us may feel like we're stuck in the wilderness, right? Stuck in the wilderness. We don't know what's next. We don't know. We're just wandering from day to day. The wilderness doesn't mean the end has come. God is still faithful to his promises. Verse 15. When the water in the skin was gone, she put her child out under one of the bushes. And I think that, that reminds me of somebody else. It reminds me of Moses. Right? When, when, when Moses' mother sticks him in the water, she's doing so in faith. But it doesn't seem that way here in the text for Hagar. Instead, she seems to do so out of desperation. When the water of the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bow shot, for she said, let me not look on the death of the child. Now, a couple of things here. First of all, she, it says that she put the child down under one of the bushes. Ishmael would have been about 14 here. <laughs> if you imagine, you've got Hagar carrying a 14-year-old boy. <laughs> Seems a little bit strange to us. Uh, but this is what the text tells us she did. She puts him under that, and we get the feeling here as we read the narrative, if we weren't informed of what it's told told us elsewhere, that Ishmael was just a little baby and she was leaving him there, but it's not the case. Um, Ishmael was a teenager. But she was desperate. She didn't want to see him die. She didn't have faith. She believed it was over until the angel of the Lord cried out. Verse 17, And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called um, called up her, her voice. Oh, I'm sorry. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Notice something here. Whose voice does the angel of the Lord hear? It's the boy's voice. Hagar, she was desperate. She didn't want to see him die. She sticks him under the bush. She didn't pray. Instead, she heard the voice of the boy. I don't think we see something that here is showing that Hagar had faith. Instead, she. The, the angel heard the voice of the boy crying out. And she, he, he come, the angel comes to, to um, Hagar and, and encourages her, says you know, not to be afraid. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. She, she was desperate. She thought it was over until not because of her prayer, But because God had heard the prayer of Ishmael, God opened her eyes. Let's think about this here for just a second. It just occurred to me. Sometimes God can open someone else's eyes because of our prayer. Think about the implications of that for evangelism. We want to see people saved. In Bond County, in Montgomery County, in Panama, and all around. We want to see people saved. If we want to see that happen, only God can do it. None of our work can do it. None of our labor. None of our yelling. I mean, the, the New Testament even says that our preaching is foolishness to the world. The only thing that can happen to get people saved is for God to open their eyes. So, how does that happen? Let's pray that He would would do it. Let's pray that He would open people's eyes. Well, here, God opened the eyes of Hagar. You know, sometimes we just don't even see things that are right in front of us. God opened her eyes, and behold, she saw a well. A well of water. And she went and filled the skin and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy. God still cared for Ishmael because he was also a descendant, an offspring of Abraham. He was with the boy and he lived in the wilderness of Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Notice here, we haven't gotten to this yet. This is on down the road in the story, but... Abraham takes a wife for his son Isaac. But the warning there, when Abraham gives the warning to his servant as he he says to go off and find someone, don't take a wife from among the Canaanites. He, He was not to take a wife from among the pagans. But instead, Abraham sent his servant to go find a wife for Isaac that was among his kinsmen there back before he left to come to the promised land. If Hagar would have had the same faith as Abraham, she would have also wanted to keep separate from the Canaanites and from the pagans around. Instead, we see a, a parallel to whenever Isaac is, uh, has a wife found for her. him here, she, she finds a wife among the Egyptians, among her own people. Hagar was an Egyptian. And she finds a wife for her son among the Egyptians. Verse 22. Now we come to this other story that seems to have nothing to do with what we've already looked at. But bear with me. Actually, before we jump into that. So what we see here so far is God has promised to Abraham land, seed, and blessing. Land, seed, and blessing. This is where I started out. And he's he's fulfilled his promise that he promised to Abraham. He's at once he, he had promised how uh, to, to, that he would have a, a child, as many children as the stars of the sky and as the sand of the sea. And Abraham said, how can this be? Because I don't have any child. He finally has the child. He finally has Isaac. And this is the path in which God would keep his promise to Abraham. That he would be the father of as many children as the sands of the sea and of the stars of the sky. We also see, as what I referenced already, we, we've, we see this conflict here between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, this theme that we see throughout Genesis. Now, here, what we're also going to see is another one of these promises. And how it's not yet fulfilled. Verse twenty-two. At that time, Abimelech and Phichol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, "God is with you in all that you do." Abimelech is recognizing that Abraham has God with him in everything he does. He recognizes Abraham is being blessed. He's being materially blessed. His sheep, his flocks, are doing well. Everything. He's being blessed. And Abimelech notices that. He's like, I want to be on Abraham's side. God's blessing Abraham. I want to be with him. I want to align myself with Abraham. So, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or my descendants or with my posterior. He wants to be on Abraham's side. He doesn't want Abraham to ever double-cross him or anything like that. He wants to be allies with Abraham. And Abraham said, I will swear. He said, he agrees. He's agreeable to that. And when Abraham... The, the, so after they make this... After they swear this oath, they swear this oath, Abraham then brings up how... There's already been some conflict. Abraham points out that his it seems like Abimelech's servants had been blocking access for Abraham's shepherds to get to the well that Abraham had dug. And notice how Abimelech responds. Probably how a lot of us might respond. What? Me? I didn't know anything about it. Do you believe that? I mean... Abimelech was a, was a ruler, he was a king, and he he had a lot of people who worked for him. You would think that if something goes on, he's got to know about it. But here, Abraham calls him on something where he feels double-crossed, and Abimelech's like, I didn't know that happened. This is the first, why didn't anybody tell me? Well, Abraham is like, I'm telling you now, <laughs> right? He says, uh, this is the first time I've ever heard of it. It seems like he's protesting quite a lot. Verse 27. So Abraham, they come to a resolution here. They, they make a covenant together again. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech and the two men and made a covenant. Abraham set seven new lambs of the lambs. Uh, of the flock apart, Abimelech said to Abraham, What's the meaning of these seven, seven you lambs? He doesn't know, you know, what this is all about. He says, It's it's to attest that I built this, uh, I dug this well, and that it's mine, right? And uh, therefore, that place was called Beersheba. Now, Beersheba, bear is a pit or a well, and Sheba. It's the same word there that was used uh, whenever um, Hagar was wandering around, and, they, and uh, she was, you notice, verse, uh, I, I can't remember where it was. Um, but anyway, uh, the word Sheba is ambiguous because it can also it can mean seven, and it can also mean oath. So there were seven ewe lambs. So is it the well of seven because of the seven ewe lambs? Or is it the well of the oath? It could be either. It could be, either. It, it could, it could be intentionally a wordplay there. So they made a covenant in Beersheba. And then Abimelech and Fickle, the commander of his army, rose up and returned there. On the name of, uh, re- returned to the land of the Philistines. So, Abimelech and uh, Fickol, strange name. They go back to where they came from. But Abimelech, uh, but Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here. I'm sorry. <laughs> I skipped down to the next chapter. Uh, and, uh, then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba <laughs> and called. There on the name of the Lord. His response after making a covenant was he worshiped. Worshiped. And then finally, verse 34 And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. I think this verse might be important here. Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. The passage that Mike read from Hebrews. He longed for a homeland, for land. God had promised him a land. And yet Hebrews tells us they died in faith, not having received the promise. And here the text tells us Abraham, though he had received the promise of blessing, you know, God was blessing him materially with flocks and herds and all of those things God is blessing him with a son. He blessed him. He gave. He 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 fulfilled his promise of a of seed. He gave him Isaac. And yet, there's something more that's awaiting. Abraham longed for a homeland. And if he wanted a homeland, he could have just packed up and gone back to Ur, and he could have been at home if he wanted long for an earthly city. As the author of Hebrews tells us, he wanted a greater city. He wanted a greater city that's architects and builder was God. He longed for the kingdom of God to come. I think one of the things this demonstrates to us uh, there's a concept in Scripture uh, called the already and the not yet. There's ways in which God had already fulfilled His promise. He gave Isaac a son, or, uh, Abraham a son, Isaac. He gave him blessing. He gave him these things, yet he wasn't a full possessor. And we here can relate to the already and not yet as well. Jesus has died for us and we are forgiven and washed clean. We, we are already, Sons of God. We are already adopted into His family. We have already been reconciled to God. And yet there's also a not yet aspect here. Just like Abraham there was an already and a not yet for him, we have a not yet aspect because we are longing and waiting the day when He comes again. Amen? We're longing and waiting for the time when He comes again and He sets all things right. Abraham had experienced the seed promise fulfilled in Isaac, but yet there was a greater fulfillment to come later when Jesus was born. The one who would bless all nations. And we also long for the city. We long for the time when He comes again and that new Jerusalem comes down. We live in a world that, as First Peter said a lot about, We live in a world that is not our home, right? As the old song says, "This world is not my home; I'm just passing through." Right? But the meek shall inherit the earth. We trust in Christ. We look to Him. When we say, "I can't do it," God's going to have to do it. I'm broken. I'm sinful we throw ourselves on Him him, and on His mercy, that's when we're meek. And we'll inherit the same thing as Abraham did. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.com or you can like us on Facebook